Captain Kirk. Fascinating. Well, I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I thought. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Ferengi, and things to episode 59 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? That's the Muppets and Star Trek. We've been doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek The Original Series. And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Marissa Borenson and the Star Trek Original Series episode, The Paradise Syndrome. So who is this Marissa Borenson person, Steve? I have Marissa no idea. Berenson? Berenson? A few times they said it Marissa, so I'm honestly not 100% sure. It shows you how well we know who this person is. <laughs> uh, well, she's an American model turned actress who got discovered as a teenager by Vogue magazine, uh, appearing in multiple spreads, including a cover in July of 1970. Mm. But it was her role as Frau Bonn Aschenbach in the 1972 cabaret that put her on the map and got her a Golden Globe nomination. Oh, well, she's still acting today with 84 credits on her IMDb page and multiple projects currently in pre and post production. Hmm. Crazy factoid about her. Uh, she was on a plane from Paris to New York City, September 11th, 2001, when it was diverted to Canada, Newfoundland, due to the 9-11 attacks. Wow. When she landed, she received a call from her daughter informing her that her younger sister uh, model and uh, uh, model actress and photographer Barry Berenson was on American Airlines Flight 11, which was crashed into one of the Twin Towers. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Just nuts. Yeah. The connection What's you up to this week on The Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. Well, the backstage plot this week all centers around the fact that Lou Zealand wants a spot on the show and Piggy has been put in charge of planning the final sketch, which she just calls a comedy sketch about a wedding, mm-hmm. which makes Kermit extremely nervous. Uh, Marisa even tries to help her get ready, and the Swedish chef makes a cake. <laughs> but on stage this week, her, Kermit introduces Marisa Berenson. Uh, but first, we get sent to Russia, where the pigs play yet again any ethnicity, <laughs> performing the Red Pigs Dance, an original for the show, uh, as pigs dressed as stereotypical Russians sing fake Russian lyrics and dance stereotyp- stereotypical Russian dances. Gonza brings out Marisa Berenson. She dances and performs with free-floating fuzzy fuzzy boas, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a dance number, but not really. Up next, we get the wild world of Muppet Sports. We're there at Wig Racing Championship. Uh, this is followed by just a great visual of different wigs racing off a line, and then the wig jumping off of the commentator's head. <laughs> Following this, we get a sweet number with Rolf and Robin performing Someone to Watch Over Me. It is a really sweet and it's just what you've come to expect from Robin, sort of that nice, sweet breath of fresh air in the middle of the show. And that's the first time we saw that number? Yes, we've seen similar ones that were like, now Robin's going to sing something sweet with Rolf. Right, because I know they played some of them twice, though, like they were filling in space and things like that. Uh, uh, next on stage is an assortment of Muppets singing Do Re Mi. Things quickly degenerate when Fozzie forgets where they are in the song, which causes them to start it over in the wrong place and do the wrong lyrics repeatedly. <laughs> and it's actually really, really funny. Uh, finally, we get Marisa Berenson performing, but you're always welcome in our house about a girl who traps and tortures people in her house. And it's actually really dark when you think about it. Very terrifying. The closing act is the wedding sketch. We've been hearing so much about, which is suspiciously realistic. 
Kermit figures this out a little too late, but suddenly introduces Lou Zealand and his boomerang fish who come out and disrupt the wedding. <laughs> and it dissolves into complete mayhem. Kermit thanks Marisa, uh, asking her uh, to close out the show as Piggy angrily chases him across the stage. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. Jarman, mm-hmm. what did you think of this episode of the Muppet Show with Marisa Berenson? Uh, I think this is one of the new lows for the series. Um, I really dislike this episode, uh, mostly because of the host. I think she bombed, in my opinion. She didn't show anything of where she was actually exhibiting some kind of talent or speciality, um, leading me to believe at the time, before I got your rundown of what she's done and what she will do, that she wasn't an actress, a singer, or a dancer, just a model, because she didn't sing very well. She didn't act very well. <laughs> I was just like, what? what is she supposed to be doing that's good? Um so, yeah, that the boa scene was like the real worst part where she was like, as you said, not really a dance number. She's just kind of flitting around with these boas and the the puppeteering and the little boas was great. They didn't, you know, skimp there, but it was just nothing was happening. There was no really storyline or any impressive dances to be had. Um, I will say her one saving grace was that creepy murder house, kidnapper house, because uh, number because that was just least creepy and interesting. But. It wasn't because of her. It was just the setup was just like, whoa, this is really dark. For the Muppet yeah, show. it could have been any host. And it still would have been, whoa, <laughs> what is happening right now? It could have been Dom DeLuise in that little girl dress. <laughs> and it still would have been, whoa, that would have been better, actually. But uh, I will say, though, that the the wig race and the do re mi were, were definitely fun. Uh, I definitely laughed at the do re mi thing because it was just done really well. Uh, but uh, overall, for me, a bottom of the barrel episode. Uh, I can't help but agree. I maybe don't dislike it that much, but you're right. There's not a lot to like yeah. in this episode, especially when it comes from the host piggy pushing the wedding thing. This becomes like a reoccurring theme as the show goes on where she's trying, always trying to nail Kermit down. Uh-huh. This is one of the sort of first times we see that really in earnest. So that was kind of fun. That's true. And nice. And there was something kind of nice about the wedding at the end. Um, but the B plot really eclipsed the A plot and the host because you're right. Like what, what did she do? What does she do? What does she do? Well, <laughs> you know, she was in the, that dance number with the boas, which the boas were a cool effect, but it wasn't a complex dance. It wasn't high energy. She didn't sing. Right. It was kind of her wandering around stage to a tempo. There wasn't really a through line plot to that number either. Like what is going on here? <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got to, I've got, to, and also I, I agree. Do re mi. It was such a simple sketch idea, very but cute. carried off so well. Like someone gets lost in the middle of the song, and then suddenly everyone's off. And a great song to do that on, yeah. Otherwise, a very simple song. <laughs> no, a near female near. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I agree. She felt like kind of a throwaway, but sort of in the opposite way of Liberace right where all he did was his his shtick was he had a shtick know what her (laughs) shtick was yeah she didn't even have a shtick no clue what she's even about from this episode yeah so just some examples of the host just really tanking the episode and despite the best efforts of the muppets yeah i i agree so i maybe i don't know if this takes one of the bottom three spots but it's certainly not making it to the top (laughs) yeah we'll we'll see i I can confirm that Uh, music this week, mm-hmm. the red pigs dance. That is literally the name of the opening number. It was original written for the show by Muppet show music associate, Derek, Derek Scott. He's also responsible for other originals like pig Calypso. Oh, I remember that Sweet one Tooth jam. 
Borsalino, which was the Boa's number, uh, written as the main theme for a French gangster film of the same name. It was written by a guy named Claude Bowling, and Bowling composed music for more than 100 other French films. Jeez, that's a lot. Someone to watch over me by the Gershwin brothers uh, from another musical I hadn't heard of <laughs> called OK. Uh, after George Gershwin died suddenly from a brain tumor, tumor, Ira took three years of writing off, took a bit of a hiatus before returning and teaming up with other writers to create some of his other classics. That makes sense. Uh, Do Re Mi from Rodgers and Hammerstein music, uh, The Sound of Music. Hammerstein died only nine months after The Sound of Music premiered. His last composition was Edelweiss, oh. which was actually added like last minute in the rehearsals for the show. Uh, and when he passed away, all of Broadway turned off its lights for a full minute in wow. recognition of his contribution. Love that song. You're always welcome to our house. Written by American creative Shel Silverstein in a biography released after his death. Uh, it was revealed that he owned multiple homes, spent a lot of time at the Playboy Mansion and slept with. And I quote, hundreds, perhaps thousands of women. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and he was a children's author and he writes that disturbingly dark song and sleeps with thousands of women. Uh, also, it was announced that much of his original material and recordings were lost in the 2008 Universal Fire. Oh, so many were. Yeah. Uh, also lost in that fire were uh, original recordings from Elton John, Nirvana, and R.E.M. And Bing Crosby. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Son of a bitch. <laughs> so, Jaron, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Uh, there are actually a lot of impressive coordinated Muppet moments, um, but my think it goes to for me because it was just the most fun and chaotic was the end of the marriage uh, number. Um, just the, oh, yeah. the, the the fish flying everywhere and people going nuts. And there's a lot of Muppets out there at one time and pigs and frogs, just and... fish everywhere. And it was, it was a lot of fun. So I think that is my favorite Muppeteering moment. About uh, you? I've got to give it to the opening pig number, despite the fact that it was, we'll say a little culturally insensitive and stereotypical. It had a lot of performers and we got to see a lot of fun kind of dance moves. Yeah. And get them getting these pigs to do a lot of movement stuff that we don't always get to see. I will say one of the, they made a big mistake in that one. They left in the final cut, which is at one point the the one uh, puppet of the pig that has one foot up in the air and is spinning around, its head gets turned all the way backwards <laughs> and it <laughs> and it gets stuck that way. So it starts floating around the room with its head completely backwards. It was kind of creepy actually. I love it. They might not have noticed, they just left it in. Um but yeah, so I've got to give it to the pig number just for the, the kind of crazy amount of movement we got to see. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Jordan, tell us about this week's episode of Star Trek, the original series. All right. We got the Paradise Syndrome. And as soon as this started, I'm like, oh, this is the one where Kirk and the Native Americans. So, yeah, OK, I got it. So basically, Kirk, Spock and Bones are on an Earth-like planet observing what life it has on it, because apparently it will soon be hit by a giant asteroid unless the Enterprise intervenes. So while they're exploring the gorgeous scenery and Kirk's saying how it's like Shangri-La there, they discover this weird obelisk with alien writing on it. And it looks way more advanced than the people that are currently living on the planet who all resemble ancient Native Americans. And uh, they mentioned that in the episode. Uh, they're about to transport back up to the ship to go after the asteroid to divert it from this uh, from this planet. But Kirk goes to investigate the obelisk one last time and he accidentally opens it and falls inside. And once he's in there, there's like a control room and always like a new uh, fangled devices. And he touches a control panel and it zaps him, causing him to collapse and the obelisk to close. So Spock and Bones are now trying to find Kirk, but they're forced to leave if they're going to get to the asteroid in time with the Enterprise uh, to knock it off course. 
So meanwhile, Kirk wakes up in this inside this obelisk and finds he has no memories of who he is or where he is. Um, so he's able to exit the obelisk, but he immediately encounters two of the natives, two native women, and they take him to be a god because coming out of the obelisk, they're a symbol of their god. So they take him back to their tribe, and many of the others in the tribe are skeptical of Kirk being a god, but suddenly a boy is taken to them who apparently just drowned, and Kirk performs a rudimentary CPR on him, very strange when he pushes his legs up, I guess that was the way they used to do it in the 60s, um, who, and he revives him. So now they're convinced that he's magical and he's a god. But with being their god, that means that he's in charge now, and he gets the promised wife of the tribe. So being the, the head person and it's the sexy lady he met when he first came out of the obelisk. It's the same woman. But this pisses off the previous leader of the tribe who is all set to marry her soon. But we'll get back to him later. So meanwhile, back in the Enterprise, they reach the asteroid, but are unable to deflect it off its path toward the planet. And in doing so, they also knocked out their warp drive. So the only thing they can do now is go as fast as they can on impulse engines back to the planet. And that will take two months. But during those two months on the planet, this Kirk with uh, amnesia falls in love with Miramani, I think her name was, uh, the woman who he's promised to as the leader. And her previously betrothed tries to kill him and sees that Kirk bleeds, so he no longer believes that Kirk is a god. But then Miramani announces that she is pregnant, and Kirk is just beyond happy. He's living his best life, and this is just going so good for him. But back in the Enterprise, Spock works around the clock, not sleeping, not eating, trying to figure out the alien language that was on the obelisk in hope that he can figure out what the heck it does. And he eventually figures out that the obelisk actually speaks with musical notes, and he believes that it is an anti-asteroid machine of sorts that protects the planet. But they need to go activate it if it's going to work, because apparently it's been deactivated. So back on the planet, a giant storm is starting up as the asteroid's approaching, and all the people of the tribe tell Kirk that he has to go to the obelisk to stop the storm since he's the chosen one God and everything. But the storm continues and Kirk doesn't know what to do. He's up there. The obelisk saying, I am Korok. I don't know what to do. So the tribe starts to stone him and his wife, Mirmany as well, because she's trying to protect him. Um, but just then Spock and bones arrive and uh, both Kirk and his wife are now on the ground, like knocked out. Um, they try to revive him and Spock gives him a mind meld to return his memory and they, once he's awoken, he recreates the tones that he used when he first arrived at the obelisk that might have let him get inside in the first place. And that works. They get inside. They activate the obelisk. It shoots the asteroid and diverts the disaster. But it's too late for Mirmani, his wife, and her baby, their baby. Uh, as Bone says, her injuries are too great. Um, and Kirk says his goodbyes to her and cries over her body as the credits roll. And it's pretty sad. Pretty dark. What do you think? What do you think about this episode, Steve? Uh, okay. Things I liked. I liked that for the once the enterprise was dealing with like a known space issue. Mm, that's true. There's an asteroid heading towards a planet with life on it. We should probably do something about that. It's the first thing that seems like it should be in their lane. Yeah, that's true. There's a mysterious space force in godlike aliens. Like who, who would discover that in space? Oh, there's an asteroid. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> um, now this is like an in hindsight kind of thing. The Native American depictions for the time were actually probably pretty tasteful and respectful, but not by today's standards. Well, especially because they're mostly played by white people and brown face. Right. I don't want to say that it was handled well, <laughs> yeah. but I think that it could have been handled a lot worse. Oh, yeah. It could have been worse. That's true. Um, We got to see Shatner do a fight scene where he got to do his very unnecessary jump kick, which is one of my favorite Shatner moves. <laughs> um. Spock was wrong for once. 
we don't get to see that very often when he like depletes their energy banks and burns them out trying to to break the the asteroid yeah and he was wrong and we don't get to see spock wrong it kind of affects him he goes into a fugue basically trying to figure out what to do uh, they introduced a really big concept that I'm not sure if it goes anywhere later, but the preservers. Yeah, kind of. The, the result in like, you know, a, a bunch of the sentient humanoid like species throughout the galaxy. It very much conflicts with another episode of Next Generation. So I'm I'm curious to look into the uh, the the nerds and see what they've come up with on that, because, it yeah, it definitely comes back up in a way. Yeah, uh, I like that nothing is beyond Spock's reach in that. Is, is like, I think it's music. Or you, you understand that? I do have an excellent eye for musical notes. <laughs> I was like, really? That's just on your list of things, Spock? Well, he's played that little sitar thing in many episodes. That's true. <laughs> and they did bring it back this time for the first time in a while. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the thing I liked, and you touched on this, it was huge stakes for Kirk <laughs> expanded over a much larger timeline than we've ever gotten before. Yeah. Whole two months. A woman he genuinely loves and her unborn child who he marries. Not just a fling or infatuation or a quick kiss goodbye before he leaves a planet, but like a woman he fell in love with. Mm hmm. So it, it, I don't know. We've just I don't know if that was good or bad, but we've never experienced anything like that before. And I like the fact they took that time. They've never done that before at the credits where it continues and it's just not just cutting away as the credits are rolling over him, just staring at her and, and just sad. Um, and it affects him. And I was like, well, that's actually a big change for Kirk. You know, and this episode means something. But of course, they don't mention this ever again in the rest of the series. But right. um, yeah, it has an effect on him. You can tell. Um, which puts it very different in hindsight that in the third Star Trek movie, he loses his second child. That's true. Which is just nuts. Filled with tragedy. Uh, things I maybe struggled with a little bit more or disliked. Uh, the, the solution that Spock came up with felt very anti-Star Trek. Like, all right, we're going to shoot the asteroid. And then if that doesn't work, we're going to really shoot it. <laughs> it just felt dumb. Um, yeah. Kirk, his big arm smile when he's in front of the obelisk and the internal monologue. There's a lot uh, of monologuing, yeah. Put him over the top in a way that was not positive. <laughs> really out of character. The internal monologue especially really threw me. It's very different from other episodes. Because usually we get a captain's log, but he's actually recording that, supposedly. Right. Or just was just his I, inner I thoughts. Like, right. I feel like they just didn't know how to do it without the captain's log. And they're like, ah, we'll just do it anyway. What am I doing on this world? Where am I? Uh, there was just just that great chance to have Shatner get his shirt off and chase a woman through through the woods for with no impact to the story. Everyone was asking for that. Yeah, uh, the internal <laughs> monologue thing was goofy. And I guess why why did it take so little to convince these people who thought Kirk was a god into like booing and throwing rocks at him, <laughs> trying to stone him? It just it, it, all of a sudden, he was being pelted with rocks. Turned on a dime. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Uh, and, then, and then in the same turned on a dime thing, as soon as Spock and McCoy beam down, all the Native Americans just run away. I mean, if, if that happened to me when I was away. an ancient civilization, I'd be scared shitless, too. So it makes sense. I guess. But it was just one of those like, oh, they're gone. And I guess we don't have to worry about them anymore. <laughs> yep bye <laughs> yeah okay well i guess that glad that wrapped up nice and clean and apparently no amount of uh technology in the enterprise could save that woman who was just pelted with rocks like 
Yeah. And they don't mention her baby at all. He just they mentions her name. put Spock's brain back in his body a couple episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. And she got hit by a rock. Yeah. Internal bleeding just can't be cured in the future. <laughs> well, you, you know, somebody was like, what are we, we can't, are we going to have a kid on the enterprise? And some other writer went, nah, we'll just kill her. Yeah. It's like, or is he going to leave her? That's also bad. <laughs> it's like, um, so some ups and downs, some things we've seen in this episode that we've never seen anywhere else, but I'm not sure if that equates to a good episode or not. Yeah. That's fair. So not bottom of the barrel, not top of the heap, but, uh, no, certainly not bottom of the barrel. I, yeah. I thought it was different enough to make it interesting. I'm upset about I get another episode where, oh, it's just like earth, but, it evolved the same way as Earth. You know, that's kind of a thing that's happened too many times along with Space Brothers. But um, we'll let it pass. So some trivia for this episode. Not too much yeah. of interest. We got the only episode in season three to be filmed on location and not entirely in the studio. So I hope you enjoyed it. because the last time we leave the studio for the entire season. Uh, the characters on the asteroid destroying Obelisk are the basis, like the characters that are written, like the letters are the mm-hmm. basis for the alphabet and characters used by the predators of the alien versus predator movie franchise. So okay. They adapted them from this episode. Interesting. Uh, Paradise syndrome, though not officially recognized as a mental condition by psychologists is a term conferred upon those who feel dissatisfied despite having achieved all their dreams. That's what paradise syndrome technically means, but here it's merely used to describe someone who is overworked and needing a break, which was, you know, basically Kirk. Uh, oh. And right, the, well, I guess that explains it. Yeah. And the original script had the woman with surviving with Kirk's child. Um, and they, oh. they apparently did change that. But originally it was going to be where she did survive with the kid. But I don't know what they're going to do after that, if they were to have him just leave her or or what. But that was a thing that could have happened. <laughs> so what are our Trek connections, Muppet connections this time around? Well, for the first time in history, I found absolutely nothing. Oh, my. Are you kidding me? I am so sorry. I apologize to our audience who have come to expect it. I tried all my normal methods, all my normal avenues, and I found nothing. I think it's the first time I'm up at Trek history. Yeah, even I found even tenuous stuff before, and I couldn't even find tenuous stuff. <laughs> Most of the actors in this episode of Star Trek stopped acting in like the 70s oh. and don't have recent credits, so it made it incredibly hard to do any sort of yeah gentle tracking to like next generation or voyage or any of those it made it almost impossible well folks you know that if it's if it was there he could have found it because he's really good at this shit like the closest i could find is that marisa berenson and leonard nimoy both had movies out at approximately the same time (laughs) and so i found a newspaper article where those two movies were reviewed wow well, they your... were separate films, you know, not, not <laughs> there's your connection right there. <laughs> right. That was the best I could do. So I just I couldn't do it. Well, it's weird. You I couldn't tried. do it because these are basically the same episode. So I mean, yeah, I basically just watched one of them twice. So the, what what similarities did you find between these two episodes? Uh, both feature a marriage and or wedding with uh, Kirok in Mirami, Miramani, Miramani. Yeah. And then Kermit and Piggy. Yeah, I basically the same thing, but both have a woman who wants to live happily ever after with her husband, but it goes terribly wrong. <laughs> oh, that's good. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, both feature a random encounter at the beginning of the episode that ends up saving the day at the end. The obelisk diverting the asteroid and New Zealand breaking up the wedding. That's true. That's true. Uh, Robin the frog just wants someone to watch over him, as he says in the song, just as the natives want their God to watch over them and protect them from asteroids. 
Oh, very yeah. nice. That's all I had. That's that's all I had too. Oh, Good. what's that? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. So it's the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other, and vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? Well, this week, Mister Trek, I've got Lou Zealand replacing Salish. Ah, a jealous about Shatner getting his place in the show and then attacking him with boomerang fish. <laughs> Nice. Uh, I have Captain Kirk comes over to play Louis uh, Kaziger, the the reporter on on the wig race. Okay. So we could finally see Shatner's wig fly off at the end. <laughs> oh, that would be good. Shatner's toupee would finally be revealed at the end of that sketch. Uh, Trek to Muppets. I've got the Native Americans coming over to replace the Russian pigs because it would be just about the same culturally stereotypical. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and just about as offensive. <laughs> True. Um, this is a mean one, but it's, I have Marissa uh, Berenson to replace Miramani so that she would be so boring and talentless that Kirk really wouldn't have any lasting emotional damage when she dies. And she would never have been pregnant in the first place because she would never have been that attractive to Kirk in the first place. So it would have been a less tragic story is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. I just want to be make things easier <laughs> for Kirk. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of episode 59 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Raquel Welch. And original series episode, And the Children Shall Lead. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 